This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Sunday morning. My name is Jeff. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I am the lead pastor at Christ Church. And on behalf of our whole church family, just want to welcome everyone here and say Merry Christmas. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, please open in them to Luke chapter 2. Open in them to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, one can be provided for you uh, in the information table right over there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, please take that home with you as well. We'd love to have that be our gift from us to you today. We're in Luke chapter 2 today. We've been in an extended series in Luke. Uh, we're in about Luke 19 coming up uh, in a couple weeks. But today we go back in time. We go back to Luke chapter 2 to talk about the Christmas story together. As you make your way there, there's another story I want to tell you about, a true story. In uh, 2010, there were two brothers from uh, Germany, and I'm going to butcher their names because I'm an ignorant American, uh, but let me just go ahead and try to say them. So, Zoltz and Gaze Pilate, um, they were from Germany, but they were living in Hungary. They've been taken to Hungary by their mother, when they were very young, and sadly, when they became teenagers, their mother abandoned them. And so these two brothers grew up homeless. They actually lived in a cave. They foraged for their food amongst the trash cans of local restaurants. Kids, can you imagine that? Like finding your dinner tonight from a trash can? Um, don't imagine that because you actually might do it. So I'm sorry, parents. Don't, don't, don't tell them to think that. Um, so you have these two homeless guys living out of a cave, forging for their food from trash. But then one day they got news that changed their whole life. A social worker found them and told them that their grandmother, whom they've never met, who they never even knew existed, their grandmother was actually very wealthy. And she had recently passed away. And she left her entire estate to them. And so these two homeless brothers that day became the recipients of an inheritance of 6.6 billion dollars. 6.6 billion dollars. Can you, can you imagine getting that news? You want to talk about a good Christmas present. Imagine getting that news. Their lives were changed forever. Not because of anything they had done, but because of the news that they had been given. But imagine if these brothers had chosen not to believe that news. Imagine if they rejected it. Imagine if they thought, well, maybe this isn't true. Or maybe like, well, you know, I don't know if it is or isn't true, but it's not worth exploring. Why make a change? I'm doing fine in my cave already. Or, or imagine that, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to venture out of the cave. But, you know, they're thinking through their last night there, and they're, they're thinking about, you know, Okay, we're going to fly out to incredible riches. That's great. But, you know, I'm just not sure if it's going to be worth it. I mean, I've just gotten really comfortable living in this cave. And uh, I believe it's true, but I'm not sure that that true riches are worth leaving all of this behind. Or, or imagine that as they're on their journey, they engage some challenges. You know, maybe their taxi takes a wrong turn as they take them to, uh, to the airport. Or maybe they get on the airplane and they experience some turbulence. I, I hate flying. One of my blessings of 2020 has been not having to go on a plane. I usually do that about once a month, and it's been great to have a reprieve from that for the past nine months. 
Imagine that they get on the plane, they're experiencing turbulence. They're like, man, th- this just is not worth it. This, this journey is too challenging. I, I want to go back to the cave. If you were their friend and you were traveling with them, w- what would you say to them? If they're questioning maybe they should stay in the cave, w- what would you say to them? W- wouldn't you remind them, like, guys, t- time out here. You have $6.6 billion that you're about to turn down. Like, like, you've received good news. Doesn't this good news change how you think about the cave? Doesn't it inform how you think about these challenges? Doesn't this good news kind of shift your whole perspective on how you should journey through your life? We'd want to remind them of the good news, wouldn't we? Well, friends, we've gotten a lot of news in the year 2020. And it's been mostly bad news. But today, as we come to Christmas, this is a time where we want to remind ourselves that there is good news. There is good news. And when we're tempted to go back to our caves of unbelief, when we're tempted to allow the struggles of life to cause us to want to abandon our journey, when we're tempted to want to sell out for temporary pleasures, we need to be reminded that in Christmas we are shown there is good news. There is good news. That's why I've been telling this morning's sermon, there is good news. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 and read verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy there will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Friends, there is good news. There is good news. And I think these verses show us three things about why this news is good news. This news is good because it really happened. This news is good because it supplies what we really need. And this news is good because it applies to really anyone. This news is good because it really, it really happened. Notice that the angels declare to these shepherds both the time and the place of Jesus' birth. They say this in verse 8. I'd say this in verse, excuse me, in verse 10. Fear not, I be good news, there will be for all the people, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Notice they're saying this day. Not not some potential date in the future of something that might or might not happen. No, no. This is a specific time. This has happened on this day. They're announcing that this day is not like any other day. No, no, this this is the day. The day that all of human history has been building towards. This is the day that God promised would come all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, When God says there would be a day that would come when his offspring would crush the head of Satan. This is the day when God promised through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 
where God would bring a miraculous sign of having a virgin give birth. This is the day that God promised through King David in Psalm 2 when God said that he would give his forever king who would be God's very own son. This is a day planned in eternity past before the creation of the world as we're told in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the day when the whole universe with untold light years of space and billions of galaxies this is the day when all of created existence is going to welcome in the Creator. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Friends, this is, this is that day. This is the day where the fullness of time, the precise moment that God had set to bring His Son into the world... This moment has come. This is signaling to us that this is not some kind of fairy tale made up in a galaxy far, far away. No, all of human history is now measured by this day. We're not sure if Jesus' birth took place exactly on December 25th or not. But what we do know is that all of human history is now measured by the year of Jesus' birth. There is B.C. before Christ, and there is A.D., Anno Donami, meaning in the year of our Lord. And modern history can try to rewrite that, try to get cute and say, well, no, 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 it's B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era. But the reality is, however you slice it, the dividing line of history is still this day, the birth of Jesus Christ. This day really happened. Really happened. And it really happened in a real Place. Look at verse 11. It says, unto you is born this day in the city of David. The city of David is Bethlehem. That's where the great Israelite king David was from. And the prophet Micah, writing hundreds of years before this day, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophesy this in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Speaking about the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Do you see who's saying that? There's a ruler who's going to be born in Bethlehem, David's city. But where he is born is not where he is actually from. Where he is actually from is from antiquity. Where he's actually from is from eternity. Friends, who is the only one who can say that they have always existed in eternity? Who's the only one who can say that they are from eternity? It's God. God himself. And so what Micah is telling us here is that this eternal God is going to come in Bethlehem, in David's city. And Bethlehem is not a made-up place. This is the land of Narnia, some fairy tale, imaginary place. Now, this is a real place. Like, you can get on a plane and go to Bethlehem right now. Like, well, not right now, I think there's a travel advisory. But, uh, but maybe sometime in the future, right? Friends, as we read this, we're meant to see that this really happened in a specific time, in a specific place. This is not good news that's been just made up to make us feel better. 
No, just like for those brothers in Hungary, like, it kind of mattered to them whether their inheritance was real or not. You know, it wasn't like, hey, it's just, we just want to tell you something to make yourself feel better. It's like, wait, what? You know, like, that's not going to help them at all. In the same way, too, friends, it matters. This is real. It's not just something we make up to make ourselves feel better. No, this, this realness of this news, <laughs> this really matters. Because when you go through deep, dark, long nights of the soul, where hope seems to be eclipsed by despair. Friends, the realness of this news matters. When you go through pain and suffering that seems to have no end in sight, the realness of this news matters. When you are tempted to pursue happiness in things that won't last, and you know it won't last, but the pull of them just seems so strong, the realness of this news, it matters. It matters. Friends, if, if life were kind of light and trivial, then just kind of thinking made-up happy thoughts, maybe, maybe that would be enough. <laughs> but life is not like that. Life is a quagmire of various complexities that only real, solid truth can help us navigate. In the real moments of life, like when life gets real, friends, we need truth that is even more real. The good news of Jesus, the news of his birth, and all that, that means, this news is good. Because this news really happened. It really happened. This news is good because it really happened. This news is also good because it supplies what we really need. It supplies what we really need. The angel says that a Savior is born. Savior. From the very dawn of time, there's one thing that the Bible has made clear about humanity. It's made clear that we need a Savior. Adam and Eve sin, they fail and feel ashamed. What do they need? They need a Savior. And so what does God do? God kills an animal and covers their shame within that animal's skins. In Genesis chapter 6, the whole world is filled with evil and God's going to come and bring judgment. But what also does God do? He's a Savior. And so he calls Noah and tells him to build an ark so that he and his family can be saved. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, what does God do? God saves Abraham's son Isaac by providing a ram as a substitutionary sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 39, we meet Joseph, who is sold by his brothers into slavery, then falsely accused by his master, and his master's wife, and, and thrown into jail. But what does God do? God saves him from his troubles, brings him out, and gives him a place of prominence in the land of Egypt so that when famine hits most of the known world, Joseph is in a place to not only forgive his brothers, but also preserve their life by providing them with food. Friends, go throughout the Bible, and what you see again and again and again is people getting in all kinds of trouble... And God being the Savior. 
God being the Savior. God saves his people from their slavery to Egypt by raising up Moses and breaking Pharaoh's will and leading them through the Red Sea to freedom. God saves his people from the threat of the giant Goliath who is seeking to destroy their lives by raising up a young shepherd boy named David and giving him the strength to slay that giant. God raises up prophets like Hosea who speak about God saving his people from the lusts of their hearts, from the fact that there are so many things that we can desire besides God, which is spiritual adultery against God, and yet God saves us by being our faithful husband and pursuer in his steadfast love, even though we are unfaithful to him. I mean, it's just story after story after story with one clear point. We need a Savior. God is a Savior. Also in the Old Testament, we see this figure come about who's called the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. In Israel, kings were anointed with oil when they became kings. And so there's this coming king, this coming anointed one, this Messiah, who's going to bring, it's prophesied, full and final victory for his people. But here what's interesting. In the midst of all these prophecies of victory, Isaiah the prophet comes in and says, here's how this Messiah is going to achieve this victory. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What Isaiah is telling us here is that the Messiah would bring victory for his people by taking their sins on himself. And being judged in their place. And the Greek word for this Hebrew word Messiah, the the Greek translation of that is Christ. Look at what the angel said. The Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. The Lord. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios. And when this was written, most of the Jewish people actually didn't speak Hebrew. Most of them actually spoke Greek. It was the most commonly accepted language in the whole world at that point. And so in actually 285 BC, um, about 70 Jewish scholars got together and were like, hey, we want to be able to have our sacred texts, what we would call the Old Testament, we want to be able to have them be able to be read by, by other people. And so they took all these Hebrew texts and they translated them into Greek. This is the translation known as the Septuagint. And do you know what these translators chose as the Greek word to describe Yahweh, the personal, most holy name of God, what's the word they used? It's curious. Lord. Friends, don't miss what the angel is saying here. Is declaring that there is a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who is in fact God himself, the Lord. And so what this means is that all those times of God saving his people in the Old Testament, Those were all just pointing forward as foreshadowings of this once and for all great and glorious final Savior, Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. And so like Adam and Eve having their shame covered by the skin of an animal, Jesus came and gave himself as a sacrifice for us so that our shame could be covered by him. Like Noah being safe in the ark, We're saved from the storm of God's judgment as those winds and waves beat down upon 
Christ on the cross, and we are safe within him. Like Abraham was provided a substitute so that he would not have to kill his son Isaac, Jesus came to be our substitute and die in our place so that we don't have to experience eternal death separation from God. Like Moses who led the Israelites to freedom, Jesus frees us from our spiritual bondage and leads us to the promised land, heaven. Like David, Jesus has stepped forward to be our champion and to fight and win the battle that we could not fight and win for ourselves by slaying the giant of our sin and Satan. And like Hosea, Jesus is the culmination of God's faithful, steadfast pursuit of us, even though we can be so faithless to Him. Friends, every story of salvation is pointing forward to this great and glorious and radiant, resplendent Savior, Jesus Christ. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been health, God would have sent us a doctor. If our greatest need had been happiness, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is salvation, and so God himself has come to be our Savior. You see, you can have education, you can have technology, you can have money, you can have health, you can have happiness, you can have all that. But it won't do you any good when you come before the judgment seat of God. Psalm 130, verse 3 says this, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Who could stand? I'm sure there are many good people listening to this. I'm sure people here present are good. But just think about your thoughts for a moment. Just think about your mistakes. Just think about all those things you've done in life that, that you would really love to be able to take back. If God kept a record of all that, if all that comes before God, who could stand? I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't stand. And so friends, if there's an eternity, if there's a life hereafter, no matter how much goodness we experience here, no matter how good we've been here, there is nothing we more desperately need than on that day when we come before the judgment seat of God, there is nothing that we need more than a Savior. We need a Savior. And this news that the angel gave, this is good news. Because it supplies us with what we really need. It supplies us with a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This news is good because it really happened. This news is good because it supplies what we really need. And this news is good because it applies to really anyone. It applies to really anyone. The angel says this is good news for all people. This isn't news for only the rich and famous. This isn't news only for the powerful. This isn't news for only those who are, you know, really religious and check all the right spiritual boxes. No, there's only one qualification given for this news. Did, did you see what the qualification was? This is good news for all. That's the qualifier 
all. The only qualification is that there is no exception. This is good news for anyone who is willing to receive it. And the shepherds, they're perfect illustrations of this anyone. There is some debate among scholars about how poorly shepherds were viewed in ancient times. Were they just poor or they also social outcasts? Different ancient sources seem to indicate different things. But, but here's what's agreed upon. Being a shepherd was not highly thought of. Like no one is rolling up into a party and impressing anyone by saying they're a shepherd. You know, what, what do you do for life? Well, I'm a shepherd. What do I do? I watch sheep. You know, like no one's doing that. No, no, one, no one's impressed by that whatsoever. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Your profession is watching someone else's smelly animals. Like you're not even a farmer. You don't even own your own animals. Like you're watching someone else's animals. Shepherding was not a career that people went into. It was a profession that people were always trying to get out of. And so think about this. This, this angel could have been sent by God to anyone, right? The angel could have been sent by God to tell this news to a king. The angel could have been sent by God to tell this news in the synagogue, to go to the priests and the holy people and tell it to them. This angel could have been sent by anyone to tell the news. Who did God choose to send the angel to to tell it? Lowly shepherds. Because this news is not just for kings. It's not just for priests. This news really is for anyone. There was a time last year where I was, um, I'm a team chaplain for the Philadelphia Phillies, and so I was doing a chapel service for the Phillies down at the stadium, and I got done, I left the stadium, and I went to Sunday Brefix Mission, it's a mission in Center City um, that does ministry for homeless people, and so I shared, part of my day was spent sharing with kind of celebrities and famous people, and then the rest of my day was spent sharing with homeless people. And what really struck me on that day <laughs> was how I was able to give the same message to both groups. Because whether you're rich and famous and seem to have it all, there is no one who doesn't need to hear the good news. Or whether you're poor and homeless and seem to have nothing, there is no one who's out of reach of this good news. This good news is good news for all. Friends, this is good news. This is good news for you. It's good news for you. Maybe you're this morning like, but I'm, you know, and you fill in the blank with some way that you, you are somehow the exception to this all. Can't we do that? We all, we all want to kind of qualify what God said. We find different ways that, you know, well, I'm this or I'm that or you don't understand this. I mean, I don't know. How, how do you fill in the blank? But I'm filling the blank. What, what do you fill in the blank with that? What qualifier do you put on yourself that you think disqualifies you? Friends, Jesus is the Savior of all. Like, but I'm so guilty. <laughs> well, he says he's the Savior who forgives. I'm so broken. Well, he says he's the Savior who knows how to turn brokenness into beauty. Like, but I'm filled with so many regrets. Well, he says, I'm the Savior who knows how to redeem and restore. Friends, Jesus is the Savior who can bring healing for your wounds, who can bring freeing for your bitterness, who can bring reconciliation for your resentments, who can bring peace 
for your disappointments? Who can bring power for your weaknesses? Who can bring hope for your despair? Who can bring tenderness for your hard-heartedness? Who can bring fullness for your emptiness? Who can bring love for your loneliness? Who can bring light for your darkness? Friends, this news is good because it applies to anyone. No matter what you are going through, no matter what you are struggling with, no matter what you are tempted by, no matter who you are or where you come from or what you bring to the table, this is good news for you. And this is good news for your family. This is good news for your neighbors. This is good news for your friends and your coworkers. This is good news for that person who you think is too uninterested to listen. That person you think is too hard-hearted to care. That person you think is too hard-headed to even think about it. Again, fill in the blank. There's so many ways that we can disqualify others, aren't there? I'm not going to share this good news with them because, friends, the angel this morning wants to take away that because from us. I want to say, no, 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 you don't understand. This is good news that is for all. This is good news that is for all. It's good news for all people. And so this Christmas, do you believe this good news? Do you believe this good news? Right now in this moment, maybe for the first time, God is giving you the opportunity to believe this good news. He, he's inviting you to come out of your cave. To come out of your un belief. God is calling you to leave behind that which is less for something that which is greater himself. He's calling you to experience the riches of the salvation that comes through Jesus who is Christ the Lord. God, God's calling you today for him to be your savior. Or maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus. Friends, this text is calling us again and again and again and again to be reminded of this good news and to have faith that this still is good news for us. God does not just save us from what we did B.C. before Christ. He saves us from what we do in A.D., the year of our Lord, the year of our salvation, the year of our conversion. The good news that we needed before Jesus is the good news that we still now need as we seek to follow Jesus. Friends, Jesus is still good news for you. And he's still good news for your family. He's still good news for your friends. He's still good news for your co-workers. He's still good news for your neighbors. So don't hold back on sharing this good news. But as we receive this good news and are reminded of it, friends, this is news that should change everything for us. Like the news that changed everything for those two brothers, this news should change everything for us. We should live in the goodness of this news. And we should share the goodness of this news with others. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There is good news. So, no matter what this year has been like, because of this good news, we should be able to say with sincere joy in our hearts, 
Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.